You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We got dogs, you hear me? Milwaukee, we dogs. Ah, PJ Tucker getting things going tonight. Solo Spain here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to get you good behind the scenes on the parade. Jen Latta is going to join us, tell us everything that went down in Milwaukee today. I'm sure you saw some of the video, including PJ Tucker's face exploding with Ace of Spades. Uh, you saw Giannis making fun of his own free throws with some delayed throwing of the ball into the group of uh, the group of fans awaiting awaiting him. Uh, it's just a fun day in Milwaukee, a long time coming in Milwaukee, and by all accounts, PJ Tucker, the MVP of the parade. It's always interesting to see who ends up being that guy. Uh, there's always the one that drinks a bit more than everybody else, but not just that, because I've, I've certainly seen my fair share of guys. Uh, Patrick Kane actually throwing up behind the stage of the of the parade stage uh, the first time the Blackhawks won a championship and then heading up to speak just a moment after. It's not just being the druggist. It's the it's the drinks that lead to the epic speech. Um, and there have been many. And P.J. Tucker now in the annals of, of great parade speeches with this one. Uh, here's a little bit more of what he sounded like today in Milwaukee. You know, it's crazy. That's what everybody, like, when I came in, they're like, yo, you got to, like, Show like you gotta be the dog, and I'm like, we, man, we got dogs. Like they just say, like we, <laughs> like I got here, like we we already got dogs. They just don't know how to be dogs, and we gonna be dogs. And our dogs is crazy. We got dogs. You hear me, Milwaukee? We dogs. I like I, I really feel like he had no idea what he was gonna say and that he got up there and suddenly mic in hand, ace of spades flow, and that's what comes out. Uh I wanna ask you at Spain and Fitz, who was the best drunken parade speech giver? I'm throwing out there PJ Tucker, Corey Crawford, if you remember his speech that was legendary for the Blackhawks, ended up on a whole bunch of t shirts. Uh Jason Kelsey. The outfit, the speech, everything else, or other. If I forgot one, you're certainly welcome to remind me. Uh, they're not off the top of this is off the top of my head, but I'm going to post that at Sarah Spain, and and you guys let me know who did it best. Uh, Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Like I said, we're going to get back to more of the Milwaukee talk, and Jen Ladd is going to tell us all about what happened uh, today out in Milwaukee. But there was some big NFL news today that I want to get to. And it seems to be having rippling effects across the league already as some pretty well-known players are reacting and then deleting their responses, talking about you, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, But the NFL informed clubs that if a game cannot be rescheduled during this 18-week season because of a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players, the team causing the outbreak will forfeit. And they will not only be credited with a loss for playoff seeding, they will actually be responsible for financial losses and subject to potential discipline from the commissioner. Now, the key here is it's unvaccinated players. So this is very clearly an effort by the NFL to get as many vaccinated as possible. Mina Kimes on Around the Horn today reporting on that very specific point there. The key distinction here, the outbreak has to be caused by an unvaccinated player because there have some, been some cases where uh, vaccinated athletes do test positive for COVID and spread it. Uh, the result, of course, as we see across the country, is that if you are vaccinated, you're less likely to get sick. But the NFL is drawing that distinction. If that happens, you're not going to see this same sort of punitive measure. How they'll determine that, I don't know. That's the interesting part of the end, right? Will we have forged vac- vaccination cards? Will we have players lying or attempting to lie about their status? 
because this is a big deal. How you will be treated based on your status of vaccination is very different, according to the NFL, whether you get tested every day, whether you're masking up, whether you go through the protocols that essentially mirror what we saw last year or whether you're part of this new world where you have a little bit of an easier go of it, where you're tested less often because we know and these are facts and statistics. These are not up for debate. Ninety eight percent of people hospitalized with covid right now are unvaccinated. Ninety nine percent of people who are dying from covid in this country right now are unvaccinated. Those are the statistics coming right out of our hospitals. This is now a pandemic for unvaccinated and those who are unable to be vaccinated, which means young people, people with uh, medical issues that prevent them from getting the vaccination. And the NFL not only wants to obviously cut down on the cost of needing to have those those incredibly unwieldy protocols that result from entire league of unvaccinated players. But I think they also want to send a message and set an example. And Jeff Darlington was on Shanae Golick Jr. talking about NFL players, you know, what it means to basically tell them, without saying as much, to get vaccinated. Like, if the NFL was concerned at all about, like, the the science behind the vaccine, there's no way that they would be putting any type of potential mandates. No no way they would be saying to players, like, get this vaccine. So you you got to think that the NFL feels, feels pretty strongly about this if – if they're putting themselves out there saying, like, get this vaccine, like, sure doesn't seem like that they're worried about um, pot- potential fallout from it. Now, I'm not suggesting that that would influence anyone's decision. I'm just saying that to me, that tells me that the NFL absolutely is dug in on this one and wants its players is basically making it very clear to them without saying you have to be vaccinated to play that, that you better get vaccinated or, or uh, you're risking a lot here. Yeah, the NFL doesn't want to get involved in lawsuits, so they have no concerns. They're using data from the CDC and major hospital systems to tell them that this is the right move. And guess what? NFLPA is supporting it. Here's what Jeff Darlington said about that. Well, to me, one of the more interesting elements of it is the fact that the NFL Players Association has come forward and sent a memo to its contingency, its players, and said that uh, really showed no no animosity toward the NFL for this, basically saying these are similar rules to what were in play last year that were uh, collectively bargained. And basically that's, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, I don't sense, I don't sense much in terms of like the NFL PA planning to put on some kind of fight to defend players that are choosing to not get vaccinated. And that's a big deal. That is a big deal. If the NFL PA says, no, we're, we're with them on this. We will not defend you. If you're trying to argue that you shouldn't have to follow different rules. Uh, by the way, nobody gets paid, neither team's players, if the game cannot be rescheduled. Uh, all of this contributing, hopefully, to increasing numbers. Jen Latta is going to join us next here on Spain and Fitz Talk, all about the Bucks Parade. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Hello, Spain, tonight on ESPN Radio. We're going to be joined now on the Goodyear Hotline by Jen Latta from ESPN Milwaukee, also an ESPN reporter. And let me just start by saying, Jen, I remember doing radio hits the day of the Cubs World Series Parade. It was a whirlwind of games and stories and reports from the weeks leading up. I was absolutely exhausted and wishing I could have had a whole bunch of the booze that the players were enjoying. And instead, I was doing my 11th radio hit. So how are you feeling? 
sitting down, but I absolutely agree with you. You know, there's like a mental exhaustion that kicks in as well. And it's not just because, as you know, Sarah, because of the parade today, it's the journey you've Mm -hmm. been on, whether it's as a fan or as a reporter from the start of the postseason, right? Every team is hoping that their team will be the one standing at the end. And then when you are standing at the end, all you want to do is sit down. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a month-long journey at this point when you go back to the Heat series, the Nets series, the Hawks series, and then, of course, the Sun series that just ended a couple days ago. Really fun to see the scenes in Milwaukee. Not quite as big as when Chicago celebrates a smaller town, but they came out, and they came out strong. Uh, P.J. Tucker, okay, not only the speech, but the champagne afterwards. Uh, would he be the parade MVP for you, or did we miss some behind the scenes that you can uh, you can let us in on? Well, so many great behind-the-scenes moments. I think P.J. Tucker absolutely is the leader in the clubhouse because <laughs> he, you know, he was talking about we dogs and he was talking about the mentality that he brought. That you know, they these guys who were already in the locker room were were they are dogs. They just needed it to be kind of be awakened in them, you know. And we talked about it on our show leading through the playoffs. How at times it just seemed like this team needed to tap it into its nastiness, right? You know, all championship mm-hmm. teams have a little bit of nastiness in them and I think PJ Tucker was that guy who kind of ignited that in some of the more you know the Giannis's the Drew's the Chris's where you don't really see that sort of personality come out from them Giannis certainly a competitor nobody's going to question his competitiveness but he's also a really really nice guy who lets people touch the trophy through his car window as we have now seen on his Instagram live and and talks to people in the (laughs) drive-thru of the Chick-fil-a when he's ordering what will now be forever called the Giannis the 50 nugs and the Sprite lemonade half and half. Um, What what I loved about PJ Tucker though um, was that he walked from the stage back to Pfizer forum. Of course, all of the guys had cars. They could have hopped in when they got off of the stage to get them back to the arena. And it's only like a block, a block and a half, but he opted to make that walk. And of course that just endeared him to the crowd because Mm -hmm. they were like, able to walk alongside him i do know for a fact that those bottles of champagne he brought them about three grand a pop sarah and he was handing them out like they were dum-dums at the dentist office or wherever (laughs) it is they hand out suckers when you're finished with your appointment i mean he was very generous with his alcohol Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you on ESPN Radio, talking to Jen Latto of ESPN Milwaukee, reporter for all sorts of other outlets on ESPN as well. Um, Jen, despite all of the enthusiasm and excitement of today, there was still that guy, and that guy was walking around carrying the fire coach Bud sign, and you saw someone reporting that Coach Bud and family were given the thumbs down from the parade vehicle, not something you usually see mid-parade. What do you make of that? Is there a minority or even a majority of fans who said, okay, I'm glad we got this done, but it wasn't because of him, it was in spite of him? Not, I mean, if, yeah, there's always going to be a few bad apples in every group, but I think that for the most part, people recognize the adjustments that Coach Bud made. And this isn't just like saying proverbial adjustments, Sarah. You know, you've been following these series. These were actual schematic adjustments that Bud made throughout this postseason. And, and the guys love it. They do. They really respect Bud. And part of that is because he lets them just play at times. And then when the just playing isn't working, he clamps down on them and he makes mm-hmm. them and forces them to, you know, follow, follow what he wants, follow the game plan. But coach Bud out there, I mean, again, one of these characters who, as you mentioned, has been through the ringer, who 
uh, will they or won't they fire him is almost a daily, weekly, monthly conversation in Milwaukee. But he was fist bumping with the crowd. He, you know, um, my husband Dario, who works for um, Valley Sports, the the network that carries the Bucks games, was on a bus with PJ Tucker and Coach Bud yelled over to PJ. And those two have a have a longstanding relationship. Coach Bud yelled over to PJ, "Why wasn't I on your bus?" You've got the good stuff, you know. So he was clearly <laughs> enjoying the day and clearly soaking it all in, as he as he should. It was well deserved. Jen, you know, you have renewed yourself in this in this community and in this city when you took the job there and started doing regular radio. What can you sum up for us about how big this is to Milwaukee? First title since '71, particularly with all the Aaron Rodgers stuff going on. How can you sum up? what it means to this town, especially with the personnel that managed to pull it off. Well, yes, Sarah, I worked in Milwaukee for seven years early in my broadcasting career. I also went to Marquette University, obviously the Bucks, the big show in town during my four years in school as well. So I've been on quite the ride with this organization as a fan and as a reporter. And those were some lean years for this Milwaukee Bucks team. Yes, there were some playoff appearances under George Carl, guys like Glenn Robinson, guys like Ray Allen. Michael Red was, of course, the face of the franchise for a very long time. But lean, lean years where, you know, you were a lottery team, you weren't really sniffing the postseason, you know. And then you started to see the, a glimmer of hope for the future in that 2013 season. And I know a lot has been made of it. The year they drafted Giannis 15th overall, the year they trade for Chris Middleton. It also happened to be the year that Brandon Jennings famously said bucks in six at the Wisconsin sports awards. And you started to see steps being made towards relevancy. Um, But when I try to summarize the journey, I always go back to a few nuggets. One, this is a franchise that used to practice at a church. And I don't mean that like hyperbolically. I mean, it was literally the archdiocese location down on the lakefront. They had a gym in the basement and that's where the NBA franchise would practice. And that's where the media avails whenever they'd bring a new player were held. And the Bradley center, as great as it was again, went to Marquette. That's where all of our Marquette basketball games were held, but it was a hockey arena that the Bradley family built for the hockey team in town, the Admirals, And they reconfigured it every game when they would put the in there, you know, so to now have a state of the art basketball arena to have the deer district which is all of these restaurants and all of these bars and these plazas as you saw on television for so many weeks leading up to the finals like it feels like a basketball town now it doesn't just feel like they're subletting you know and so it's just been a really incredible journey and and the steps they made to put pieces around Giannis and bringing in the ownership you can't say enough about Herb Cole the previous owner who insisted upon selling the team that the new owners keep the franchise in Milwaukee. It was a major caveat. It would have been a deal breaker had they not agreed to that. I mean, all of those things, all were the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs that got us to where we are today, which is a championship parade down the streets of Milwaukee. Excellent stuff, Jen. A really good reminder of of the work that goes into all of this. It doesn't happen overnight. And certainly, I think we know that more with Milwaukee than some other places because of the extended conversation about how they might be able to keep Giannis and what it would require to put the talent around him to not feel like you had wasted this incredible gift of a player. Jen Ladd is with us from uh, ESPN Milwaukee, reports for uh, Outside the Lines and College Game Day, all sorts of other stuff. Uh, before I let you go, I, you know, I know that you're tapped into all of the stuff around this, and there were so many stories behind the scenes. We 
loved seeing Giannis and his brother FaceTiming. We loved all the behind the scenes of the parade. Is there another story that the national folks might have missed either on the night that they won or in the days since? Well, I think you saw again today the relationship between Giannis and Thanasis, which has just been such a nice little footnote to everything that's going on. I mean, imagine busting your hump the way that Thanasis has in his role on this team and then being put in COVID protocol during the NBA finals. And of course, your brother being the guy who puts up a 50 burger in the big game. (laughs) They are so close. I mean, on the radio today, I was saying this is an enviable relationship. You know, anybody who has siblings out there dreams of having like that. I got your back. You got mine relationship. And these guys genuinely have it, you know, and like, so that I always feel like, uh, you know, you're, you're starting to see it. Like you said, the Instagram live thing, I think the other night really was a, was a peek inside their relationship and their, the chemistry that they have. But I think Dante DiVincenzo is a huge storyline as well, right guys? Like he's somebody who gets hurt yeah. right before the NBA finals and he, he's their starting, he's their starting guard. And you're saying, how is this going to affect the team? How are they going to be able to manage without this key cog? And everybody picks up the slack. And so to see him out there today on the stage, on his crutches and a moment that I know some television cameras caught, but others may have missed was all of the players dumping the streamers and the ticker tape (laughs) confetti onto Dante DiVincenzo because you, it's not just about the playoff run as you well know, Sarah, it's about being in the gym in the summer and iron sharpening iron and all of those regular season games. And so that's why I think it was so important to recognize that like every guy, even the guys they call the quote unquote trenches played a huge role in this team hoisting the Larry O'Brien, not just the guys whose names you can rattle off with ease. Jen, thanks so much for the time. I hope you get to nap soon, uh, but excited for you and excited for the, for the bucks in Milwaukee. Thanks for the time. No problem. Thanks Sarah. Talk to you guys again soon. Awesome stuff from Jen, and just really, I can't say enough how excited I am for Milwaukee and the Bucks and those fans. Anytime it's been a while, I usually tend to put aside whatever rivalries there might be, and I tend to be happy. Even the Blues, the St. Louis Blues, I was like a little bit happy for them. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, just a little bit, honestly, just a tiny little bit. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Speaking of the Blues, uh, yeah, Brett Hall will be a part of that parade best speech roundup. You guys reminded me of that one. That's a good one. Uh, we'll be doing that a little later in the show. Coming up next, Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports going to talk about that big news in the NFL today and the reactions from the players. It's coming up. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We continue to see cases of the Delta variant rise across the country. We see... The majority, 98% of people hospitalized and 99% of people dying from COVID right now, unvaccinated. The NFL taking a big stand today, informing clubs if a game can't be rescheduled because of a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players. The team with the outbreak forfeits are credited with a loss for playoff seating and are responsible for financial losses and subject to potential discipline. Pretty strong stuff from the NFL. Joining me now on the Goodyear Hotline to talk about it, Yahoo Sports senior NFL reporter Charles Robinson, who launched a new podcast this week, You Pod to Win the Game. Charles, thanks for the time. What was your immediate reaction to this very strong move from the NFL and the NFLPA essentially saying, we're not going to argue it? Well, it's, you know, this is something that's really come in, in steps for the NFL. I think if you talk to people at the league office, if they're being honest with you and on the record, which they're not going to be, I mean, we'll see tomorrow. They're going to talk about this tomorrow on a conference call, but 
Um, I think there's been a lot of frustration from the league office. And I think, you know, there's as things have rolled toward uh, training camps and teams have groused um, privately, you know, to the league about this 85% threshold and, you know, the lifting, potential lifting of, um, you know, protocols, COVID protocols. You know, the league has basically looked at teams and said, look, we, we tried to do this first informationally. So we started this out and we gave the players the information, we gave the teams information. We made the doctors available. Even the union said it. Hey, we made the doctors available, made everybody available. Doors open. Any questions you have, we will educate you. Um, you know, stop reading Facebook posts. Stop listening to, you know, people who are not medical experts and we have the, the people to educate you. Then the NFL said, okay, we've gone through the informational phase of this. It's only taken us so far. Now we have to incentivize it. So next it was, we're going to incentivize it by basically telling you, you know, all these protocols you hate, we're going to start lifting them for you. <laughs> if you, if you get the vaccine, um, what we're going to do for you is we're going to let your, your life inside facilities go back to normal. We're going to let your life outside of facilities go back to normal. Um, and we will work with you if you get the COVID vaccine and still get COVID, because obviously that's possible. But we're, there, are, there are going to be protocols in place to work with you that are less stringent than what's going on with the unvaccinated individuals. Went through that, NFL said, okay, look at us. We, we've got teams all over the place that aren't near the 85% threshold. Um, we have owners that, you know, have told us, you know, talking privately to Roger Goodell in the league office about, hey, the difficulties of in, in the locker room trying to get this moving. And <clears throat> I think you got to the point where the league said, okay, we did information. We did the positive reinforcement. Now we're going to do the negative reinforcement. This is the penalty phase. That's what happened today. Today's the penalty phase. It's looking at teams and saying, here's the deal. We're going to make, we're going to hit you with a, with a, a double whammy of a hammer and it's going to hurt ownership and it's going to hurt players. And if, if you cause the disruption of our schedule, which is really what the league cares about, I don't think they're being very transparent about, Hey, we care about health and safety, but our bottom line, you know, we, we lost billions and billions of dollars of revenue last year. Um, we're not going to have that happen again. And we're not going to disrupt a hundred billion dollar TV deal that we're rolling into in 2023. Um, we're going to make owners pay for if they're the offending team, you're going to have to pay for the expenses of the opposing team. You're going to have to absorb a forfeiture um, on your record and players on both teams are going to lose game checks. No one's going to get paid. And I think that it's going to resonate. I watched Zeke Elliott find it out today out at Cowboys camp. Ed Werder, ESPN's Ed Werder asked, um, you know, Hey, uh, Zeke, um, you know, this is what happened with the league. They're going to, you know, take away game checks for, for both teams. And literally, you could see the look on his face. There was this pause, and he said, you know, uh, you said game check? And he laughed almost at his own reaction. Like, and, and to me, I was like, this is a perfect example of what gets a player's attention is you say, hey, guess what? Guys are going to lose game checks. Now, the union's out here saying, hey, it's always been like that. You know, um, if this had happened last year and there's a game that doesn't happen, everybody's going to lose their game checks anyway. There's nothing different. Um, but the difference, obviously, is that's built in is now ownership also um, absorbs a very significant financial penalty, not to mention uh, the forfeiture in, in the standings. Charles Robinson with me here on Spain and Fitz, Yahoo Sports senior NFL reporter. What's interesting is sort of that idea of, Okay, well, if you're not really worried, right, if you 
if you aren't being forced to get the vaccine, it's just saying if you don't get it, you can be the reason things are worse. Your team will pay. You won't get paid. And you're complaining about it. Don't you kind of know that you're wrong? Right. Don't you know that you're in a bad spot if you understand that there's a difference, a significant difference between if you are vaccinated and get covid and are likely to experience little to no symptoms can easily test negative twice and be right back versus if you are unvaccinated, you will spread it to others. You have the potential to suffer much more serious risks and be out longer. I mean, I guess the question is, is this is this being accompanied by as much information as possible so the people who are still digging in their heels run out of ways to defend their position? I don't I don't think it's about really um, an intellectually honest defensive of, of a position. OK, like I, I, I let's be real here. Like the NFL locker rooms, they mirror the country. OK, right. and the amount of intellectual dishonesty in America, uh, to me, honestly, in my personal opinion, is at an all time high. Never seen people take stances with zero um, information, with zero fact finding on their own with anything they can bring to the table, with any sense of legitimacy. You know, I, I, I live in the state of Texas where we're instituting the war, you know, some of the worst set of voting laws I've ever seen, you know, to the point where we've got, you know, massive upheaval in our state government, largely based on nothing, nothing, no provable realities. Okay, well, guess what? That's what happens in the NFL, too. There are NFL players who sit there and go, this is what I think. Um, this is what I'm reading, you know. I believe this. I don't want to talk to medical experts. I don't want to subscribe to science. Um, you know, you have a Buffalo Bills offensive lineman sitting there, you know, tweeting about, you know, uh, Fauci's, you know, invested in Pfizer. Okay. So, like, this is a grand scheme by, you know, Dr. Fauci out here to make money. Oh, I'm going to make money for myself. And, you know, we're going to invent COVID, you know, and this is going to invent in a lab. And, you know, we're going to allow it to spread so we can all make, you know, it's, I don't even know how to argue it at this point. I, I thought, honestly, to me, the most um, legitimate point that can be made, and I and Ezekiel Elliott made it today when he was talking about it. He said, look, I, I was vac- I'm, I'm vaccinated. This is a guy who had COVID a year ago and chose to be vaccinated. He said to put himself in the best possible position for the team. Okay, great. Now, he said, I grew up in a household where we were told not to get vaccinations. Okay, well, you know, that's the reality. You know, some right. people grow up in a culture where, hey, don't get vaccinated. We don't trust it. And, and, you know, decades of that, there's, you know, there's a reality that you can bring that to the table and it can, it can cause a lot of mistrust. But then beyond that, you know, Ezekiel Elliott said, look, it's people's bodies. And if they think this is going to make them, and I'm paraphrasing here, if they think this is going to make them worse, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, tell these people what to do with their own bodies and what they're going to put in their bodies. And, you know, that's, it's a hard thing to get beyond when someone says, look, I just believe it's not good for me. It's not in my best interest. And regardless of what you're going to tell me, I'm not going to change my mind. And here we go. Now the NFL says, Hey, we're here. We're here. We're a business. This is a corporation. We're here to make money. Now you're affecting the business. You know where we're at with this. And if you cause a business disruption, um, you're going to be penalized because you are going against what the business culture is of the NFL. And that's as close as the league can say, um, as close as we can come to making a vaccine mandatory. It's just to draw the hardest line in the sand they can for ownership, for players, um, for coaches who don't want to absorb a loss in the standings. Um, that That's about as influential as the league can get to, to push people. But you're still going to have situations where, you know, again, I go back to Buffalo and you look at 
I think is a Cole Beasley saying, and then now you have Stefan Diggs is, you know, very cryptic tweet about, um, you know, accountability, accountability, availability or availability, accountability, whatever the, the order was there. And, and, you know, people start speculating. Is he talking about Cole? Is that him throwing shade at a teammate? That's coming. Like that's coming. If, if we're getting to the, the point thing, where I think after seeing yeah. some of the responses today and already some of the arguments back and forth, it's certainly going to be about what your, what your teammates hold you for and what the people around your team uh, thank you so much for the insight. I'm sure we'll be calling you back again to talk about it as this develops. Really appreciate you uh, coming on tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, sir. Charles Robinson, check out his new podcast, You Pod to Win the Game. Also, Yahoo Sports senior NFL reporter. Coming up, we're going to talk about a groundbreaking moment in baseball this week. It's next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. Fitz was cheating on me very early this morning, so we gave him the night off. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and joining us now in the Goodyear hotline, Alana Rizzo, who was for a long time part of the Dodgers broadcast team, now with MLB Network. Just the other night was part of an all-female broadcast team for an MLB game. Alana, you've been making the rounds, doing all sorts of publicity around it. I want to start there. You guys actually seemed a bit surprised by just how much attention this all-female broadcast team got, right? You know what was so crazy is none of the five of us knew it was an all-female broadcast um, team when they asked us to do the game. I didn't find out until about three or four days before the actual game itself, and one of our wonderful um, guys in PR, Lou, was like, can I get a quote from you? And I was like, why do you need a quote? It's the Orioles at the Rays. Like, I, don't, I didn't know what the big deal was. And he said, no, it's an all-female broadcast. And I said, oh, that's interesting. So none of us really knew. We just said, oh, it's on our schedule. That sounds great. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just what we thought to be just another game, another day at the office. So when we found out about it, then it made a little bit more sense. And I can tell you in 17 years of broadcasting, I have never received more interest about an event or a story or more interview requests than about this broadcast. So it's really, um, you know, gained some steam and, and people have been very interested in it, which is great. And, and overall, it's been relatively positive. That's so funny. You sound like the Cubs uh, group no hitter uh, earlier this season <laughs> when, you know, Kimbrell's out there, doesn't know why the team is mobbing him. And he says to his teammate, what happened? I didn't, didn't even know we were part of a no hitter. Uh, Lana Rizzo of the MLB Network is with me. So you don't know how this came about then. It wasn't a concerted effort, or maybe it was, but the folks that were in the planning process just hadn't mentioned that to you guys when reaching out. You know, I think MLB certainly um, understood the value of it and, and how important it was to, you know, get to the point where we did have an all-female broadcast because the other major sports had already done it, and I think they recognized the importance and the value in it. I'm not certain what the conversations were behind the scenes or when they decided to, you know, kind of put this together on both the MLB network and YouTube platform that made it so much more accessible to so many more people. But, you know, like I said, I just found out a few days prior to the broadcast. And then when I found out who was on the crew, I said, oh, I mean, this just makes sense. I mean, there's so many talented women in this industry, yourself included, Sarah, that has, you know, paid the and have done the work and earned the opportunity. And we were just the five that happened to be so lucky to be chosen to do this. So um, it was a lot of fun, you know. And like I said, in 17 years of doing this, I've never had a female play-by-play <laughs> voice in my ear. So to have Melanie do the game, and of course, you know, Sarah Langs, as talented as she is with all of the numbers and the facts and stat cast and all of those things that are so big in today's game, it was just really cool to be a part of that. And I think we're so used to seeing women as reporters like myself, that's not as foreign or as jarring. But to have Melanie and Sarah in the booth doing a game, I think – 
was really eye-opening and really great for, you know, young fans and young women in particular to see. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain on ESPN Radio, talking to Alana Rizzo of the MLB Network, part of the all-female Orioles broadcast the other night. I was going to ask if it felt any different. I know you said you had a women's voice in your ear. I've been a part of a couple firsts here on ESPN, and the nice thing about it is once you've stopped talking about it and you just do the show, it feels pretty normal because I work with a fair amount of yeah. women both in front of and behind the camera. It is rare when it's just women, uh, but it feels pretty normal once you get started. Did the game feel the same or maybe extra nerves just because you knew how many people were paying attention? You know, it really did feel the same once the pitch was thrown. I knew once Melanie was going to call the first ball or strike or whatever the outcome of the, uh, you know, that particular at bat was, I knew that it was going to be just baseball. And then we got right back into our normal roles and it was actually very comfortable because again, we've all been doing this for so long that it, that was the, the more comfortable part of it is actually doing the game. What was different was all of the interest and attention that we garnered because of this. And, you know, as you mentioned, when we came on, that there was just a, such an, a huge amount of interest. And, you know, we did the major circuits in terms of all the major networks, which was great. And, I mean, it's just really been a whirlwind of a couple of days. And, you know, the biggest thing that I took away from the broadcast, other than hoping that we impart on some little girl that she can do this too, is I knew Melanie was good. I didn't realize how good she was until I listened to her. Because I've never worked side by side with her. We've all known each other and we've all worked in the same circles, but the five of us together have never done a broadcast. And, you know, she's, she's a star and she is somebody that is already doing such great things already has quite the resume and she's young. And I can't, I can't wait to see how much her star rises. And, you know, I, I've learned a lot from, from listening to Sarah and I'm definitely the oldest of this group. Um, but it was just a great experience to be able to listen to those ladies and obviously Heidi and Moore and their resumes speak for themselves in the pre and post and, Overall, it was just a great day, but at the end of the day, it was a baseball game. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a huge part of it, right, is that it does end up just becoming normal. Once it's been done once, then it happens again. It's not as big of a deal, which is part of the reason these firsts uh, don't need to be over-accentuated, but they can be recognized because there are people out there who need to see it and understand that it happens and then say, I can do that too, which is a huge part of the just, you know, shining a light on representation when it does happen. You mentioned you've gotten a lot of feedback. I'm talking to Alana Rizzo of the MLB Network here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, who's the coolest person to reach out? Well, I mean, we our phones are blowing up. Um, and I think, you know, it's been so nice to hear from so many, you know, friends from the past. But I think just the, the interest um, from the, you know, national news has been, you know, incredible. We were on the NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt, who I was I was so close to begging him to see if I could be on Dateline one day. Um, not as the victim, but just as just being the host of that show. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and then we had Hannah Storm, of course, your colleague there at uh, ESPN, who, of course, you know, I've I've admired as well and respected for so long in this industry and you know what she and Andrea Kramer did on NFL football a couple of years back and you know on the Thursday night games and then we were on the Today Show yesterday with Hoda Kotb so I mean it's just been like wow. obviously it's important if these types of outlets are paying attention and you know and and the local stuff too I was born and raised in Colorado as was Lauren Gardner and you know you can't forget where you came from so I've done some media spots for the local news in Colorado Springs where I was born and in Denver where I spent so much time. And, you know, just a lot of people have shown a lot of interest and, and, it's, and it's great. But Susan Waldman of the New York Yankees broadcast said it best. What's the point if it's one and done? And I can't wait and I hope that it gets to the point where this happens so frequently that nobody's talking about it. I mean, I think that's the goal, right, where it's just another game 
brought to you by a quality broadcast team and gender has nothing to do with it. Did you see the video of Anthony Santander mic'd up and saying how <laughs> it, it almost yeah. felt like, yeah, a, it, was a, like it was a plant, so but it seemed pretty natural. Yeah, it was so funny. And I think everybody right now, he's their favorite player that was on this broadcast crew. And <laughs> For it's, people you know, who missed it, by the way. Women it was, support women. Yeah, it was Mike, he was mic'd up in the dugout. And one of his teammates said to him, oh, did you hear it's all, you know, all female broadcast tonight? He said, oh, tonight? He said, that's good. Women need to stake their place. You know, they're already smarter than we are. <laughs> yeah, and it, that is so funny. But, you know, whether he was doing that tongue-in-cheek or where, whether he really meant it, I'm going to go with he really meant it just for Sounded the narrative. Like but, yeah. you know, what's so important, not only is it important for women to support women, that's a, that's a given, right? I mean, there's room for all of us, and, and what's the point of tearing one another down? But to have your male counterparts and your male colleagues recognize the value and importance in this as well I think that even makes greater strides when you have people that are in the industry. I mean, of course we care about what the fans think, right? We're there for the fans, but when you have people in your industry, your colleagues and your counterparts that are, that are rooting for you and they understand not only how hard it is to get in this industry, but how hard it is to stay and how hard it is to do well at this level when they're in your cheering section, that goes a long way too. So I, I'm, I'm thankful that Anthony Santander said that. Um, you know, a lot of the players before the game, in, in just in passing, were like, "Hey, I heard congratulations," and you know, I, I spoke with Rich Hill about it, and, and you know, he knew, and you know, a lot of guys, a lot of people, a lot of coaches knew that this was happening. So you know, people are paying attention. What, however, they got the information, it, it was well known that this was happening, and, and they were very receptive and very positive about it. Well, congratulations. It just is incredible and always something kind of go down in history. Good trivia question and also a great representation for people coming down the pipeline, hoping to one day do what you do. Thanks so much for the time, Alana. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thanks for all that you've done in this industry. And and I appreciate the time. Awesome stuff. Alana brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, a title contender is making a move tonight. We're going to have an expert break it down next. Right here with me, Solo Spain tonight. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain and Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And our next guest, Will Middlebrooks, brought to you by Samsung Galaxy. You won't be able to go back to mediocre after this. Are you ready for this life? Find out at Samsung.com slash reserve. Former third baseman, now an MLB analyst for CBS Sports HQ and host of the absolutely fantastically named Wake and Rake podcast. Will, thanks for the time. Of course, sir. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good, thanks. Uh, I'm good enough for someone who's a massive Cubs fan and has been basically fully engaged sphincter mode ever since things started to go downhill (laughs) for my squad. Uh, We got the trade deadline July 30th, and we have a trade that just happened within the last hour or so. The Rays sending three prospects to the Twins for D.H. Nelson Cruz. What do you make of that news? Uh, My initial thoughts on it is the Rays are getting – in my opinion, the best bat on the market right now. I know he's, he just turned 41, and we've yet to see any decline in, in his production. Uh, and on top of that, he's an A-plus clubhouse guy. Everybody loves Nelson Cruz uh, and what he brings to a club. Uh, that leadership is there. But the Twins, is, I think the Twins did well uh, in this in this trade to, as well. Joe Ryan and, and uh, what was it, Strotman, the two hard-throwing right-handed. They're really close to big league ready. Uh, so I think this is a good trade all around considering 
he's only he's owed under five million the rest of the year. He's going to be a free agent going, and, and the Rays needed this. The Rays needed a power bat. Uh, they needed a, a true DH. Uh, the, tw- uh, the the Rays strike out a ton, and uh, Nelson Cruz doesn't strike out very much at all. He's got super high slugging percentage. This is that bat they've been looking for. Let's talk about the Giants. First to 60 wins in baseball. Would you consider them the best team or just the best record? You know what? <laughs> they've grown on me. I, I've been waiting for the downfall of the San Francisco <laughs> Giants, and it just isn't happening. I, I The more I watch them, the more I follow them and talk about them, uh, they're a complete team. I'm, at first I said, you know, it's just they hit, they start gold on pitching with Gosman, uh, uh, Diesel Fani. These guys are DFA'd, and they're signing one-year deals, and they're just striking gold with them. And, and you've got a true number one in Gosman, a true number two in Diesel Fani. Alex Woods throwing the ball well. Their bullpen's been the top three in bullpen ERA all year, so they've been holding it down. And then offensively, they're hitting a ton of homers and doing a lot of really good things offensively in a league where they don't have a DH. So that's really cool to see. I love Gabe Kapler, too. He was my last manager uh, when I was with the Phillies in 2018. Just he brings a good vibe. He sets the tones in, in, in the dugout and in the clubhouse. A uh, really fun guy to play for. I am beyond blown away that they've been able to hold on to this lead <laughs> since the end of April. Will Middlebrooks, a former player, now an MLB analyst for CBS Sports HQ, with me here on the Goodyear Hotline on Spain and Fitz. A lot of talk around these parts of Chicago about the White Sox. A very strange occasion yesterday where uh, this kind of up-and-coming player, your man Mercedes, you know, decides to step away from baseball, posts that he's out, then one day later says he's coming back, and he's back with the AAA affiliate. Tony La Russa talking about how he needed to reach out and let him know that he still had a future in the bigs. Not specifically that story, but just in general, what are you hearing about this incredibly talented team that some are saying are having great success despite La Russa, even if La Russa might end up winning manager of the year because of their record? Yeah, it's a really tough combination of personalities there. You have the the young, like swaggy, you know, bat flip, Tim Anderson and Moncada and all those guys. And then you have La Russa, who is, you look at him and you just imagine him in the old uniform with like the stirrups and tweener pants and like you know like a mustache you just can't picture him managing a team uh that's a full of guys that he's managing right now uh but honestly i dug into their offensive stats and they're top in batting average hitting with two strikes uh runner position they hit behind runners they you know guys shift or defenses shift them and they still hit away from the shift and i've just started calling it la Russa ball it's old school offense uh that we don't see much more in, the, in this era, everything's launch and uh, homers and uh, slugging. That's where all the money is. But we're seeing teams go against the grain and they're having success. Boston's doing it. Houston's doing it. That old school, I think it's starting to cycle back to guys realizing, you know what, maybe there is some value to the walk, to the single, uh, not having to live and die by the home run. Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight talking baseball, which is too bad because Fitz is in the middle of Major League Baseball Bachelor. We're trying to help whittle down the teams in baseball to find him one. We will keep doing that. We'll get back to that. In the meantime, he will just sort of be mired in the middle where he doesn't have a team, which allows him to bandwagon. And I have to ask you, with that in mind, who are you bandwagoning right now? Are you still believing in the Dodgers despite Kenley Jansen's issues? Are you still are you thinking about the Mets, you know, leading the NL East, but do they have staying power with some of the injuries? Ooh, that's tough. I, I mean, I'm always through and through. I try not to be biased, but the Red Sox mean a lot to me. They drafted me as an 18-year-old, 
spent seven years in the organization, got to the big leagues, won a World Series, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but they they mean a lot to me. But to the teams you bought, brought up, Kenley Jansen, him getting booed last night, that was disappointing. <laughs> That's disappointing. He leads the franchise in saves with like 333 saves. And you're booing him. He had a 1.2 ERA in the first half, and he blew the, he's blown the first two saves of the second half. And you're booing this guy. He's 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 been a Dodger his whole career. Like, come on. He's I mean, at a it's point no in his Craig career Kimbrough, where you know, point five one ERA. Right. Well, I promise the Dodgers <laughs> aren't trading Kenley Jansen. I can promise you that. He'll be around and he'll be just fine. This guy means a lot to the organization. He's having a couple bad games. He'll be fine. The last two years, I was really worried about him. We saw the decrease in velocity. The cutter wasn't cutting as much. He's throwing it middle middle, and it was getting hit around. Or he's walking guys. This year, he looked like old Kinley again. He looked really good. A couple bad games. Don't read too much into it. I think he's going to be just fine. Now, the Mets. I've been on the Mets. I picked them to win the division. I thought the division would be weak. I hit on that. That was It's a really weak division. With that being said, I think they're going to be okay. Even without DeGrom. Uh, listen, DeGrom can only impact the game every five, every five uh, right. days, right? He only pitches every five days. So there's a lot of baseball to be played with Al DeGrom, even when he's healthy. I think they've handled his situation perfectly. Um, we've only seen him go six innings, 80 pitches. Uh, we're not seeing him go too deep in the games. They're holding him and waiting because their team's been playing well enough that they can do that in a weak division where they can make sure he doesn't run his innings up. Uh, and once we get to August and September and those really important games are there and we're going to look up and see him have 50 less innings than everybody else he's pitching against and be more fresh. So I don't know if this was a planned stint on the IL to rest him after the all-star break maybe maybe not I know he's been dealing with some stuff but either way I think it works out Lindor I think they'll miss him defensively I know offensively he hasn't been doing much this year he's having a down year that happens I think he bounces back defensively you'll miss him for sure uh hopefully with that oblique it doesn't turn into a, a much longer stint I think he'll be back and maybe this break will be good It'll be somewhat of a reset button for him offensively as well Spain and Fitz, Will Middlebrooks is with me, host of the Wake and Rake podcast and an analyst for CBS Sports HQ. You know, you mentioned your Red Sox ties. So since everybody's usually on the Yankees side, I want to ask you quickly because we're running out of time here. Are you worried about the Yankees at all as a Red Sox fan? What do they actually need to do to be actual players in the coming months? Or are you looking back and saying, ah, they don't have it? I don't think they have it. I don't think um, I don't think their lineup's very good. It's this goes to the front office and how they constructed that roster. It's really right-handed heavy in a stadium that's tailored to lefties. So uh, do I think they'll sell? Absolutely not. They're the New York Yankees. Their ego is too big. They will never sell. The next week will tell you how aggressive they will be as buyers. I can see them going out and getting a left-handed power bat and Joey Gallo, maybe picking up a starting pitcher, maybe Kyle Gibson and a package Joey Gallo from Texas. I could see that happening. I think that meets a couple of their needs. All right, so we got to run. So give me one name. Your Nostradamus, the biggest name that you see getting traded before the deadline. Max Scherzer. The Nats not sure Ooh. about it, but I could see him going to either Houston or L.A. Dodgers with their All pitching right. issues. I think it's going to be a fight between Houston and L.A. I'm writing that one down. Hey, Will, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. All right, Sarah. Had a blast. Will Middlebrooks here on the Goodyear Hotline on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Solo Spain tonight coming up. Going to tell you about the special sparkling splits doing emoji that you might see popping up on Twitter soon. It's next.
You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, no Fitz tonight. It's Solo Spain here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. We are going to continue to monitor all the action going on in Tokyo. And as always, we will be considering the COVID risks, uh, the detriment potentially to the host city and all of the bigger picture stuff. But we also, throughout the course of these Olympics, want to have some fun and understand what a monumental moment it is for so many of the people competing out there. And that's a tough balance. It requires a bit of cognitive dissonance, something we talked about a lot last year in hoping for and being thrilled by the return of some sports while still also sort of always operating with fingers crossed that people wouldn't get sick and that it wouldn't put a strain on hospitals or uh, healthcare systems while this is still a serious battle to be fought. And, and that very much goes for Tokyo, where they don't have a high rate of vaccination and where they are currently technically in a state of emergency. But it was nice to hear on Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night, three-time Olympic champion uh, Rowdy Gaines, former uh, Olympic swimmer and a Hall of Famer, talking about how he feels safe over there. He feels like the protocols are being followed. And he did have a message that he would send to the athletes who are training and, and about to uh, compete in Tokyo. My message to them is stay in your lane, put the blinders on, do everything possible to stay safe, get vaccinated, make sure that you wash your hands. All those silly things that we've been through over the last 18 months, keep maintaining that course because this is a once in a lifetime, especially in, in swimming. You know, we don't have the World Series. We don't have the NBA championships. It's every four years for us. And now it's every and now it's five years. So listen, put the blinders on, man. Stay in your lane. Sounds pretty obvious, right? But it is remarkable to hear some people complaining about the protocols out in Tokyo. Uh, those who clearly don't understand the incredibly uh incredibly uh, absurd rise of the Delta variant, how quickly it can be spread now. Uh, The chiropractor for the American women's wrestling team had to apologize and will have to undergo uh, a diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Um, After tweeting out, um, we went from flattening the curve in 14 days to going door to door to see your papers. Gotta admit it, I did not see that one coming. N-A-Z-I. So comparing Olympic protocols to Nazi Germany in a social media post, not the move. She's apologized, but I just don't understand, first of all, the thinking of anyone who decides to compare things to the Holocaust or Nazis at this point. How many times do you have to see people um, do that and do that in poor taste before it kind of gets in your head that that's never the move? But especially to do so, understanding that the numbers of vac- of of, of uh, infected people out in Tokyo is going up, and that there are athletes who've had to miss out on the opportunity to compete, that's really frustrating to see that or to hear any of that. And so I hope what Rowdy Gaines said is something that people listen to and care about. That this is a time to be as diligent as ever with protocols and just focus on what you can do out on the field or in the pool or whatever. And and there's some good stories around that we've seen. Um, an incredible start for the U.S. women's softball team. Number one ranked, looking for gold. They've uh, shut out their first two opponents. Uh, they scored just two runs against Italy, but that was enough, 2-0. And they scored just one run last night. It was a nail-biter against Canada. Um, but we've seen incredible pitching. Kat Osterman threw six shutout innings, only allowing one hit in that opener. And then Monica Abbott last night giving up just one hit, nine strikeouts in that victory. So U.S. softball off to a good start. 
We've also seen um, some of the warm-ups and, and the things getting underway for gymnastics and some pretty exciting developments. Uh, if you're if you're not following along closely, first of all, I'd recommend that you go to .com. Alyssa Ronick and a couple others put together this incredible story that shows you visually some of the moves some of the best athletes are going to be competing at using like a, a technology and little sort of animated people to explain exactly what Simone Biles is doing with the vault that nobody can believe she's doing. What uh, one of the first Olympic, uh, you know, skateboarders from the U.S. is doing when she's competing, a surfer. So it's a really cool visual story you should go check out. But it was also just released today, a couple minutes ago, that there are six new women's elements submitted at Tokyo 2020, including some from Simone Biles and Sana Weavers of, of the Netherlands. There, there are five different gymnasts. They all submitted new elements, which basically means that they could be named after them if they complete them in this competition. You get your name on this move for it have never having done before. And um, there's one specifically from USA, uh, Jade Carey. Her, uh, her element is so difficult, so complex, that it would get its own difficulty category. For the first time ever in men's or women's uh, the code of points, it would be called a K-level element. And then Simone Biles, the, the vault I mentioned, is the highest difficulty store, a score that a gymnast could get on that apparatus of any kind. And there's no comparison in the women's code of points. So they use the men's points as a reference to determine the value that Simone Biles' vault should have. Like, that's how elevated this competition is. So you need to be paying attention and getting ready to watch those gymnasts change the game. Simone also changing the game with an emoji. It's it's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain solo tonight on ESPN Radio. Twitter announced yesterday that Simone Biles has her own personal goat emoji. I just tried it out. If you go to Twitter and you write in hashtag Simone or hashtag Simone Biles, you will see a goat wearing a gold medal doing the splits next to her name. She's the first woman athlete, the first Olympian to get the honor. Um, I believe Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes has had that before. When when you spell out their name, they get the goat. Uh, but worth mentioning, Simone Biles is the top woman athlete mentioned with the goat emoji this year around the world and the number one most mentioned athlete from Team USA um, on the platform, second most mentioned athlete in the world in the Olympics uh, this year on the platform. So she more than earned her own emoji and I just like um, I, we already know the pressure on her to be better than everyone else and not just better, but so demonstrably better that we're blown away by the the things she's doing. She could go in and make her routines just like everyone else's, blow them away at every single element and still win. But instead, she ups the ante by performing things we've never seen before, by doing things that have points you've never heard of before. So she's earned it. Uh, she's earned the fact that her emoji is a goat already wearing a gold medal? Let me remind you, the competition has not happened yet. <laughs> yes, she is already the goat. Without having done anything, she could do nothing in Tokyo. She would still be the greatest of all time. But the pressure does not phase her. She's wearing a goat on her leotards and jackets and flip-flops while competing all year leading up to the Olympics and already has a gold medal wearing emoji. This is like blowing the Bears recording the Super Bowl shuffle before even making it out of the water. I mean, an incredible confidence and, again, the pressure. And, you know, we, we're, we talk about that pressure, and we're going to have Caitlin Murray on in just a minute um, here. That, that That's for the U.S. women's soccer team as well. Like, I was surprised to see how many people, first of all, were like, it's a given that they're going to win, not understanding that no team has ever won the World Cup and the Olympics in the same cycle, men's or women's. So that's an immense amount of pressure for them to make history. 
and also that a lot of other countries are catching up. So I've been surprised to see how many people thought the U.S. would run away with it and not have to work hard for it. And then surprised that their 3-0 loss to Sweden to open things up. People are out. Oh, it doesn't look like they're going to meddle. Come on. It was the opening round. They've got plenty of time to get into a groove and find their way back to gold. It's going to be difficult. They're going to have to work for it. But everybody relax. Calm down on that. Spain and Fit Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. Last thing I wanted to mention is the uh, the USA flag bearers. Oftentimes the people at the end, at the closing ceremony, are people who have fared very well. They've competed and won a lot. They get the honor of representing the U.S. on the way out. On the way in, usually pretty uh, decorated. And that is certainly the case for Sue Bird, who is, I believe, going for her fifth gold medal. Uh, she's one of the flag bearers. And then it's kind of surprising, Eddie Alvarez. A professional baseball player for the Marlins, but also had competed in speed skating at the Olympics before. So he gets the nod to be one of the flag bearers in the opening ceremonies. That starts in like nine hours if you're going to watch it live. Otherwise, tomorrow, prime time, you can watch it. And I'm actually hosting a Twitter Spaces with ESPNW uh, during an hour of the opening ceremonies tomorrow. So you can check that out. I'll put stuff on my Twitter. Coming up, we'll talk to Caitlin Murray, soccer journalist and author about what the heck happened with the U.S. in the opener. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We woke up at the crack of dawn to watch the U.S. women's national team get started in Tokyo. Congrats on your passion and loyalty, but I'm sorry, Fogia. Because it messed with your schedule and it was an ugly game. It's Spain and Fit, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. And it's time for Straight Talk. Because they deserve it and we need it. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Here to give it to us, soccer journalist and author Caitlin Murray. Joining us on the Goodyear Hotline, the author of National Team, the inside story of the women who changed soccer. Also doing some freelance writing during the Olympics for ESPN.com. Head over there to check out all of her coverage of the U.S. Women's National Team, including a story about their opener Absolutely throttled by Sweetland, Kate, Sweden, Caitlin. I'm, I'm hoping that we're over the shock of the loss. What can we now learn from it in terms of the team being able to improve for their next result? Yeah, I, I don't know if I have quite gotten over the shock, but I think <laughs> we have to move on. And I think, you know, Megan Rapino really nailed it when she said that the U.S. just failed the basics, like passing to their own teammates. So, you know, we have to give credit to Sweden for their game plan They know how the U.S. likes to play and use space, and they exploited that. But the U.S. really fell apart, and they just didn't look like themselves. You know, they couldn't even string some passes together. So whether it was, you know, arrogance, which I know people like to claim, whether it was nervousness or lack of preparation, I think really the most important thing going into the next game is the U.S. just needs to be more mentally focused and switched on. They just need to play like themselves. Like, we've all seen what this team can do. We know what it can do. But they were so reactive against Sweden, and they just let Sweden dictate all the terms of play. So if they can go into the next game, you know, stronger mentally and more prepared to sort of impose themselves, I think that is already going to be a major improvement. Totally agree. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine it's nerves. Maybe more too excited. Maybe more too hyped for it. Maybe even getting used to the weirdness of playing with, with no fans in such an important game. Do you expect to see significant changes in terms of who starts and where from Blackco in the next game? Yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a tough question because no one played well against Sweden. <laughs> you know, everyone was varying degrees of bad. So you can't blame any specific players I don't think you can look at that game and say having a different player 
in the lineup would have helped. I think truly the person who maybe deserves the most blame for that last result was Blacko Andonovsky. And as a coach, I think he failed to make adjustments and to really, um, you know, I, I wonder how much he really prepared the team for that game. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe they expected Sweden to look different or whatever it is. Um, either way, he needs to come in with a clear game plan. So in terms of the players, um, I'm, I'm not really sure. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a lot of the same players. Because, like I said, I think it was more of a mentality thing than a personnel thing. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you here on ESPN Radio talking to Caitlin Murray. You can get her book, The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer, and you can read her work on ESPN.com throughout this Olympic run. You know, you just mentioned Blacko and the coaching, and, and perhaps there was this idea going into the Olympics of just, you know, champagne problems. Who do you pick of your many talented players? We know they're talented, but I've heard some argue that the U.S. gets by on skill and resources and investment while other Euro teams perhaps have more advanced soccer strategy and approach. Do you, th- do you actually see any merit to that? I do. I think historically the U.S.'s best advantage, not to say they don't have amazing players, but their greatest advantage was Title IX. Universities and colleges have been training women to be top-tier soccer players for years, essentially because they have to if they want to receive federal money. And in Europe, developing female soccer players was something that clubs had to decide to do on their own. And for a long time, they didn't. But that is quickly changing. I mean, we're seeing more of the European powerhouses realizing that there is money to be made in women's soccer, that there is growing popularity. So they're getting involved, and they're not just bringing money. They are bringing the knowledge of what it takes to build successful soccer teams. So this is a problem that, you know, we've been talking about it for years, and it hasn't quite come to pass yet. The U.S. has still won the last two World Cups. But at some point, and we may be seeing it now, as Europe keeps investing in women's soccer, that is a direct threat to the dominance of the United States. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Caitlin Murray. I've been mentioning the book that you wrote, um, author of the national team, about this team. And I, I wonder, as you watch people digest this Olympic run, what do you wish more people knew about this team that you know from covering them so closely? Well, I think uh, right now, after that game, uh, I couldn't help but think about the 2008 Olympics. Uh, the U.S. lost the opener to Norway 2-0, to zero, and then they won every game and won the mm-hmm. gold medal. So mm-hmm. um, I would... It's a good fact. I like that, that one. <laughs> but I, I think actually the biggest thing is, you know, Whenever the team faces a setback, and certainly after they lost to Sweden, you know, I see people talking about whether the U.S. women are distracted by, you know, the equal pay lawsuit and, you know, political causes that they've taken up. And I can just put a stop to that. That's absurd, because if you go back to the very beginning of this team, they were having these sorts of fights with U.S. soccer constantly. Mm -hmm. And... Like, it's a major theme in my book because it happened so much. And I think when, you know, when the women filed the lawsuit in 2019, the equal pay lawsuit, it took some people by surprise. But this team has been fighting with U.S. soccer behind the scenes for years. One of the favorite, one of my favorite scenes in my book is Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy are in a conference room uh, with the president of U.S. soccer. And they told him, 
that they were going to quit. They were quitting because U.S. soccer didn't treat the team well enough. And these were incidents that happened over and over again, and they weren't public, but they were happening, and the team was still winning. So the idea that the women cannot do both these things, that they can't handle you know, the equal pay lawsuit and all these sorts of things and succeed – on the field is just not true. So that's sort of the biggest thing that I think people should take away from my book. Uh, honestly, the people that I see leveling that accusation are the go woke, go broke people who have ignored the <laughs> fact that they have been woke for years and certainly not going broke, winning everything, dominating everything, winning the hearts of anybody uh, with half a brain, uh, if I if I could say that. So uh, I, I pay them also, no mind. They don't watch the U.S. women's. <laughs> no, no, they <laughs> no, they, they don't watch. But they're going to tell us that they they'll never watch again because somebody knelt or somebody said something. <laughs> and uh, I will continue to ignore them. I suggest most people do. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Caitlin Murray, who's doing some great freelance work for ESPN.com, uh, covering the U.S. women's national team out in Tokyo. Also wrote the book National Team: The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer. So no team has ever won the World Cup and the Olympics in the same cycle, but this is a very special team. Expectations are certainly high enough that there'd be demand for that, even if it's never happened before. How big of a deal would it be for the U.S. women's national team and the NWSL, who counts on that Olympic bump, if the U.S. don't win this Olympics? Of course the U.S. wants to be in that gold medal match. I think... Anyone who watched the first game live is probably still recovering uh, from what that did to their sleep schedule. But the gold medal match is going to be at a time where most Americans are going to be able to watch it. And it's undeniable that the farther the U.S. goes in the tournament, the more excitement they're going to bring to women's soccer. When the U.S. women's national team wins gold medals or, you know, when they play at the highest level, it's almost like an advertisement for women's soccer. So to say that it wouldn't matter at all wouldn't be true. But at the same time, I would say if the U.S. doesn't medal, I don't think that, you know, interest in women's soccer is going to fall apart or anything because there's been sort of this steady upward trajectory and interest in women's soccer since 2011. And in that time, credit to everyone involved in the NWSL and everyone around the U.S. Women's National Team, in the time that it's really gotten popular, an infrastructure has been built around the team. And that is sort of, I would say, the biggest difference compared to, say, you know, when the U.S. won the 1990 or the 99 World Cup, that was the biggest thing on the planet, women's mm-hmm. soccer exploded but there was nowhere for people to go with that interest after that there was no way to maintain that so now we have the nwsl it's always going to be there it's playing right now you know it is very exciting games people can go watch that the media that covers women's soccer is there now so i think there's a little less of a a desperation or a need to sort of pin the hopes of women's soccer in America on the U.S. succeeding or the league. Um, Saying all of that for the players and the team, it would be a total catastrophe if they did not uh, get to that final. Anything less than gold is a failure, but I I would say if they don't reach the final, um, it would create a huge fallout for the team. Um, it, It wouldn't be as bad as maybe 2007 where they crashed out of the World Cup. Um, But it would be similar in that I think the team 
would sort of uh, unravel a bit, the coach would be fired, it would be huge. So that's not to say that winning doesn't matter, but I think for fans of the sport who want to see it succeed, you don't have to worry so much about how the U.S. does. We love that bump, though. We love that bump, even if it doesn't hurt as much if they don't get it this time. Uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for the insight, and uh, we'll continue to follow the stories that you're putting up on .com. Thanks for the time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Caitlin, giving you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Solo Spain tonight, so we're going to close out with the celebration. Lots of drunk people coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That might be where Fitz is tonight. He might have been eaten by the giant spider. You know, I have a recurring nightmare where there is a foot-wide spider hovering above my face in bed, and I have had this nightmare my entire life, and never once has there been a foot-wide spider hovering above my head, and yet... Every time I have it, I have to turn the lights on, wave my hands frantically above my face in order to, you know, punch the spider and then get out of bed only to be reminded yet again that there has never been a spider dangling above my face. Uh, Somebody call one of those dream people and tell me what that's all about. Why do I have random spider nightmares for the entirety of my life since I was like a child? It's made and fit. Solo Spain. It is. You know what? One time my dad told me a story about going on vacation with his family to Maine and they were in an A-frame house where like they were in the top room and so that everything met at the top and they looked up and saw that the entire A-frame where everything met in the ceiling was covered in spider webs and spiders and I think that I internalized that and for the rest of my life it has haunted me. So I blame my dad. I blame my dad for telling me that story. As yet, no foot-long spider anywhere near me in bed. Uh, Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. We started off the show uh, talking to Jen Latta about the parade today in Milwaukee and a great scene, so much fun. Um, and again, like, you know, a lot of people criticize me for for not having the rivals I'm supposed to have as a Chicago fan. I love the Bucks; They're my side piece. I love Aaron Rodgers. I cheat on the Bears with Aaron Rodgers sometimes. Not the Packers, not the whole team, but Aaron Rodgers, I'm into it, you know? And the longer you work in this business and the more people you meet from different teams and cities that are not yours, the more you're like, darn it, that's a nice person. I want to root for them. And that's how I feel. So I saw, you know, Milwaukee getting to celebrate today, and I was genuinely happy for them. And I was genuinely happy for P.J. Tucker when he gave this epic rant while dousing his entire body in ace of spades. You know, it's crazy. That's where everybody, like, when I came here, they're like, yo, you got to, like, Show like you gotta be the dog, and I'm like, we, man, we got dogs. Like they just ain't like we. <laughs> like I got here, like we we already got dogs. They just don't know how to be dogs, and we gonna be dogs. And our dogs is crazy. We got dogs. You hear me, Milwaukee? We dogs. Ah, uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, but it inspired me to ask you what some of the best drunken parade speeches around are. And off the top of my head, a lot of you criticized the poll. I was doing it while hosting a radio show by myself, while typing and making the poll. So, hello, give me a break here. Off the top of my head, I put P.J. Tucker, put Corey Crawford of the Blackhawks, put Jason Kelsey of the Eagles, and I put other. And you were right, there were some others worthy of mentioning. Jason Kelsey, the tops for you guys in that poll, 39.5%. 
P.J. Tucker at 22.4, definite prisoner of the moment vote. 20.9% for Corey Crawford and other 173 So I'm going to take you on a little trip through some of our favorites. And I decided not to go in the order that I voted uh, because, you know, everyone has their differing opinions on this. I went in the order of what I perceived to be their blood alcohol content levels. P.J. Tucker still mostly with it there. Draymond Green, on the other hand, not so much. Clay Thompson, hey, yup. Splash Brothers, yup. Cavaliers, nope. We won, yup. They suck, yup. We here, yup. They not, nope. Yeah, that's not exactly a speech. I don't know that that qualifies as a speech. Uh, but Draymond uh, definitely had a few before that. Not as many, though. As Jason Kelsey, when he not only gave this speech, but also put together the outfit he was wearing. And if you do not remember what the Eagles' Jason Kelsey looked like, go ahead and Google that. And remember that this was the team that kind of rode that underdog label the entire run to the to the Super Bowl victory. And they kept wearing the dog masks. Well, he brought that in. This is a very long speech. I only grabbed a little bit of it. This is near the end of his epic, epic speech. For 52 years, y'all have been waiting for this. You want to talk about underdog? You want to talk about a hungry dog? For 52 years, you've been starved in this championship. You wanted us. No one liked this team. No analyst liked this team to win the Super Bowl, and nobody likes our fans. And you know what? I've just heard one of the best chants this past day, and it's one of my favorite, and it's new, and I hope you all learn it. Because I'm about to drop it right now. You know what I got to say to all those people that doubted us, to all those people that counted us out, and to everybody who said that we couldn't get it done? Yeah, we can't play what he said. I'm so sorry. We are not able to play what he wanted to say to all of the people that counted them out and didn't want them to win. It's just I'm not making the rules around here. If I were making the rules, the show would have been canceled a long time ago because it would have been a real problem if I called the shots around here. Uh, the mouse, uh, unfortunately, had to edit the end of J.C. Kelsey. You could find it, though. It's out there if you want to find it. Uh, proceeding along to uh, the next drunkest, in my estimation, Corey Crawford of the Blackhawks. Here in Chicago! Yeah, short and sweet, on a t-shirt that I own. Also, I appreciated that he really went with the change-up. Usually people are working their butts off, um, but what you couldn't hear was nuts. And I like that change-up. I think that's better. I think it tells more of a tale of the work that went into it. Uh, that takes us to Alexander Ovechkin. Nobody knows what he said here. It's yours, boys and girls and babes. Let's go! Okay, we think it's boys and girls and babes, but let's hear it again. It's yours, boys and girls and babes. Let's go! Babes? I, I don't know. I think it's babes. We're still trying to figure it out. That's why it's up there among the best. He also said something like, we are not going to bleeping not suck or something in that one. It was good. But the winner, I have to say, not long ago when the St. Louis Blues won, was the exceedingly inebriated Brett Hall. I think I got your number... Gloria! Yes. One more time. I think I got your number, Gloria! 
Ah, yes. The old hit by Laura Branigan. And everybody under a certain age is like, huh? What? Yeah, it's a good tune. Not that rendition. And certainly not with the background of a whole different song behind it. But Brett Hull uh, certainly wins for most alcohol consumed before the speech and for taking it on home with the song that accompanied the blues throughout their run. Uh, Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Fitz probably won't be back tomorrow. The spider and all. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. Brett Hall's going to be on. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.